Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, thanks so much for uh, having me here. Come on, man. And um, if I'm a little loud, I'll I'll try to back up because I I tend to be a a loudspeaker. You know, really so grateful to uh, be here. Thanks so much for the ballsers and the uh, great job that you guys have done. We have continued to pray for you guys, and we, we love you and appreciate you know, you guys and what you've done. It is so amazing to be here to see Larry and Michelle. And, you know, I think about the Wells and how I remember moving to Portsmouth. And when we moved there, there was no staff couple. And there was this little small nucleus of a group of people who sort of um, held things together. And uh, in so many ways, where we are as a church is because of people uh, like the foundational people that you guys have here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think about these guys, and I think about the Wells, and I think about the Slaters. When I think of, uh, poor, when I think of Burlington, to me, they really are the ones that come to mind. Mm-hmm. And I think about, like, our great country. People share about how awesome America is, and we will give credit to our current leaders, which I think you should, but, you know, a lot of credit goes to our founding fathers in terms of what they built. And so I really hope that you guys feel a sense of, like, I mean, you look around and uh, what really is here because you guys stood in the gap and really supported and built. And I'm so grateful for the Balzers because then God will always send what is needed at that moment, at that hour. And being a part of the puzzle has got to be good enough for all of us. So, you know, one day the Balzers may or may not be here. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll always be here. But the idea is that they're part of a puzzle in God's kingdom, and we all are. And the moment any of us feel like we're super vital, most important, then, guys, we're in trouble. And it's that humility that God plants in our hearts to keep us humble. But I want to go on record to say I really love you guys so, so very much. And I do appreciate all that you have done, the tears the, the, the heartaches, the, the challenges that maybe others will never know. And, you know, that's life. People will never, ever know. And you guys as well, I forgot, I'm sorry. Uh, people will never know what you've done. But, you know, it's not important. God knows everything you've done. And when we get to heaven, that is the reward we want most, opposed to the reward here in heaven. And, again, as a team, I appreciate it. Um, you know, what makes a meeting important? What makes it vital? You know, I was at a meeting last week, and I got a chance to meet Jessie in Paris. So, you know, she loves the church here. Jessie, it was awesome. We were singing in French. I had no idea what I was singing. And I was trying to read the words on the screen, and I was using my American words, you know. But I was feeling great about life. And it was great meeting Jessie. And uh, she is doing well. She is happy, excited. She gets to be with a bunch of disciples from around the world. Get a chance to go around Paris and share her faith with her little bit of French. You know, maybe she knows a lot. I don't know what she knows. But I, I wanted to at least let you guys know I met her. It was great and awesome to be there. But, you know, it was an important meeting. But it was not important because we deemed it important. It was important because God said it was important. Do you think this morning, as we're meeting today, this is an important meeting? Honestly. Think about it. I was in another meeting three days ago. Um, I get to represent my company, uh, John Hancock, and we have these programs. So John Hancock has the largest summer program where we hire 600 high school students and we give them jobs. So I go to this function, I go to a luncheon, and there's the mayor of Boston. So, you know, like there's cameras, 
and there's a, you know, everyone's taking cameras and videos, you know, whatever, the news stations are there. There's the president of my company, the president of John Hancock. It's a global company. So our president's there. The guy makes about $12 million a year. So you got the mayor, you got our president, and then you have our executive uh, legal counsel who's there as well. And then you have all these other important people, someone who works for the Red Sox, and they're in charge of this. And then you have this patriot who's there. The guy, he was really awesome. So there's a patriot who was there. He was sharing about catching touchdowns in the Super Bowl, rings he has. People felt like it was an important meeting because the world valued those things. But you know, this morning, our time together is far more important than hiring 600 young people with jobs. I ask you, do you really believe that is important? See, our God thinks that it is important that we get together. And that room was important because of the people that were there. Do you believe God is here this morning? Honestly. Or this is a formality that we do on Sundays. You know, we just come to church. This is what we do. This is part of our thing that God calls us to do. Because if we do this, we'll go to heaven. Opposed to realizing that we do this because God is really amongst us. He hears us. He sees us. He feels what we feel. He knows what we are thinking. And God's goal is to really help us. I want to say a prayer and then I want to jump into the topic I want to talk about. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you so much. It is always a privilege to be here. It's always a privilege to gather together as disciples. God, I really pray this morning that I can encourage everyone, uh, challenge, inspire, help all of us to see how important it is when we gather together to know that you are really amongst us. Father, we are so undeserving to be able to even have an assembly where we can come and mention your name, that we can read scriptures about you or share about anything great or awesome. Because truly we are just slaves and servants that uh, we should kneel down every day, all day, and just serve and honor you. We're so grateful that you call us to work with you. We're so grateful that you believe in us, that you love us. Father, we are just in awe of your son, Jesus. It is only because of him we are here. It is only because of him that we can do all the things that you've called us to do. We thank you so much. Again, be with us, and we pray that you're honored. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk about the idea of being one. The idea of oneness. You know, what can one person do for God? Think about it. What can you do for God? Just one person. You know, I'm I'm a history buff. I love history. I love to read about one individual and the impact they made. I got a chance to do a presentation. We hired these campus uh, interns for the course of the summer. So what John Hancock will do is we hired 38 students and we gave them laptops and they make quite a bit of money every hour. And they get cell phones, and they, are, they feel special. They get to dress up. So we're in this meeting, and we're talking. And I shared about how I, I love leadership and people. And uh, after the meeting was over, this girl comes up. She goes, hey, that was so awesome. Because you know what I shared publicly in front of these 300 people? That if I had an opportunity in history, I would, number one, would want to meet Jesus. Amen. So I'm in a room with a bunch of executives. I'd like to meet Jesus. Number two, I said, you know, I'd love to meet Winston Churchill. And I would love, 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 love to meet Abraham Lincoln. And so she comes up. She's like, you want to meet Jesus? 
She was blown away. I'm like, yeah, of course I want to be Jesus. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> when I think about Jesus and these great men, what could one person do? Guys, they did great stuff. What can ten people do for God? You guys realize any great nation, when you look at the history, it always started with a small group of individuals. You realize that? Small group of men and women. They got together, they had a conversation. No one knew they were meeting. There was nothing important. They didn't meet in an important place. Sometimes they were in hiding. Sometimes they were in some crumbled up building. But those hearts and minds formed a plan, and here is what we have. Now for you and I, we live in a nation. 320 million Americans. Global impact. A few men and women did it. What can a church with a unified focus on God do? Acts chapter 2, you don't turn there. We saw that. This group of men and women changed the world. Far greater impact than a nation could have. Because the ingredient was God. This morning, I want to point out a couple things. Some are going to challenge. I'm going to ask you to do some thinking. But the idea of being oneness. Number one we don't talk about is we want to be unified in our suffering. You're like, well, that's sort of crazy. Well, let's turn to James chapter 1. Every day this week, almost every day this week, I've decided to read the book of James. And I've read it in a different translation. Because I'm like, God, speak to me. I want to learn some things. But in James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse uh, 2. Here's what James says. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. If you read some other translations, it says it's a joy to go through some challenges. It's exciting to go through challenges. It's because God loves you that you're going through challenges. Now, I don't know if you know, if you're like me, I don't usually feel that way. If people start saying, hey, challenges are so good that God is loving you. Then my phrase is, God, can you love me a little less? But he says here, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask. He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So the idea, I think about the challenges Do you realize, as a church, as we go through sufferings and challenges, God really is doing something awesome in our lives? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's true. He really is. My mom is so awesome. She's this southern black woman in Florida. And I'll speak to her on the phone. And I'll say, Mom, how are you doing? She goes, you know, she goes, son, it's good. Life is good. And she'll go through all the things. She's like, God did this, and God did that, and God did this, and God did that. But, I'm nervous. I'm like, Mama, why are you nervous? She goes, because you know what? This isn't heaven. And I'm afraid that I'm going to start feeling like this is heaven. Mm. Are we trying to build heaven on earth? Mm. And my mom convicts me. Because she has it. 
I think she has the right mindset. You know, challenges are good. I'm not saying that we should pray for challenges. But let me ask you, are you going through some challenges? Do you realize we serve a God who would prefer to see you in heaven, even if it meant you're going to be a little miserable on earth? Because God's perspective is always eternity. Are you learning something through the challenges? It's great just talking to the whales. You know, raising kids are a challenge. And here's what we have, and here's what we Christians like to do. You know, we're true disciples, which we are. And the reason why this meeting is important because we are disciples, and God said, I want to be amongst you. But what we have bought into from the world is that as true to Christians, we should have a life easy. Now, you would never, ever say that publicly, I know. Emotionally, though, I pray prayers. I give contribution. I go to church on Sundays. I go to church on Wednesdays. I share my faith. I pray prayers. I go to church on Sunday. I go to church on Wednesdays. I share my faith. I disciple people. I help people. And for us who have been around for a while, and God, we've done it for years after years after years after years. And therefore, you should hear our prayers. And we bought into the world because the world says, if you are doing awesome, things are good. I'm here to tell you this morning, we have so much in common in this church. We are suffering, and we should be. Let's turn to Romans, and I'll tell you what I mean by should be. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says in Romans chapter 8, and we'll start in verse um, 22. Paul says, we know. He's saying this for certainty. This is not a doubt. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. He's saying, guys, listen, suffering, the world groans. The Christian groans. The non-Christians, they don't think they, they are groaning. But he goes on to say, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? We don't have heaven. He goes, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with the groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. He goes, you know, guys, we are groaning. This is what gets us to heaven. This is what got us to become Christians. Think back to your conversion. It wasn't because you were doing awesome. You were being humbled by God. The world was squeezing you, crushing you. And then we become Christians. Well, we got it figured out. We don't have it figured out. Guys, do we help each other in our sufferings? You realize... If I had everyone just to write a paragraph of a challenge you faced 
And I said, express how God helped you overcome any challenge you've ever gone through in your life. I could put together a binder. And I could share that with the world and people would be amazed. That would be just one example. I think about Leanne and I. There's never been a challenge that God has not brought us through. And we are stronger because of those challenges. If you want to be somewhere in five years, embrace the challenges. He says, consider it joy. I always use my analogy about going to the gym because I like to go to the gym. I like to go running. (laughs) You know, I got a chance to run the Boston Marathon in April. Uh, It was awesome. It was challenging. It was incredible. And I was glad it was over. (laughs) But you know, can you imagine going to the gym? And I go in there five, ten minutes every day. I'm like, oh, look around. Maybe pick up a weight or two, put it down. It's like, yeah, I'm done. All good. I did that for ten years. And you look like, dude, you're not any bigger than you were ten years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, I go to the gym every day. Yeah. But he goes, so what did you do? I go, yeah, you know, basically what I do is I go in the gym. I look around a little bit, pick up a you know, ten pound, I put it down. Good. <laughs> Honestly, you know and I know there is no expectation of change. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's what we do know. If I went to that gym every day, or every other day, and I seriously did a little bit, got on the treadmill and ran for 30 minutes, we are all convinced if I did that consistently for five years, I would look different. Am I right? Spiritually. Guys, challenges will make us stronger. It is not easy running a marathon. It's not easy going to a gym you understand there's going to be a little pain. Spiritually, we sort of lose that mindset. So oneness and our challenges. I want to challenge you to begin asking each other, encouraging each other. How are we doing? Hey, you know I'm having a tough week. Hey, you know, so am I. Let's pray. What are you learning through that tough week? What are you learning through those tough challenges? Because when we do that, we defeat Satan. Let's turn to First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. And here's where Satan gets us. And I'm saying this too for maybe some of us who've been around for a while. You know, the church in Burlington need to see the older of us, the most humble, teachable people in the room. I say that not because anyone told me to say that to you guys. I have no idea. Mike Balzer didn't say, Greg, say this. No, not at all. I asked Mike, what you guys working on? He said, hey, this is what we're doing. I said, great. So I want to speak to us who have been around for a while. When our children get to be our age, are they going to be able to look back and say, that is what mom and dad was like? Or do we tell them stories of glory of years past? You know, when I was, this is what I was like. And the kids go, yeah, that's relatable, because that's where I'm at now. But you know what they can't relate to is when they get to our 40s and 50s, they need to see humility, heart. 1 Peter 5, he says in verse 6, Peter writes, he says, Humble yourselves therefore on the God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil... Your enemy, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because 
you know, there's not a doubt, you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're not running away from suffering. He goes, listen guys, Satan is there. And he's going to say, he's going to go, Pat, you sacrifice so much. No one really cares about you. It's totally Satan. It totally is. He goes, Larry, just want you to know, you don't have to be sacrificial anymore. You've done your job. You've done your job. Let someone else do that. Come on. What else? Hey, you guys, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just do what you can. And some of the things you don't want to do, God don't do anymore. It's totally Satan, you guys. He's totally saying, listen, don't do it. So Peter writes, he goes, listen, do not do that. Be humble. Work hard. Resist him. Because you are not by yourself. We're not in a unique bubble. Guys, I was at a meeting last week and we're talking about churches in Europe that has a staff and they are struggling. And go, guys, listen, struggle is good. Why else? How else are we going to get to heaven if we don't struggle? If this world is heaven, who's going to change? I know I wouldn't. And there are tears. But I'd have to say, some churches out there, they're, they're a challenge. I look around this room, you guys have it good. God has done some great things. Second thing I want you to think about, let's turn back to James chapter 1. So we have to be unified or oneness in our overcoming. James chapter 1, starting in verse 12. He says, Blessed, superlatively happy, is the man who perseveres under trial. He's like, dogs, here we go again, Greg, in this trial stuff. He goes, why? Because when you... When, you have stu- when he has stood the test, he will receive. Are you doubting your Christianity? He might receive. You know, am I in the right church? Do I believe the right doctrine? I'm studying the Bible. Is this true? Is baptism really real? Should we require this of people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because this is God's Word. He goes, He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good A perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God has put us in this world as a light. The world is evil. You guys all see that? Yeah. What hope does this world have? They don't have very much. We are that hope. You guys realize God could make our lives easier. God can make all of our Christians become Christians, uh, our kids become Christians. God can make every person that you share with become a Christian. He could do that. But you know, like a father today getting a text message from my kids, Happy Father's Day, they love me, warms my heart. They do that because they want to do that. They are so moved to do that. Could I make them do that? Probably. 
But you know what? I wouldn't feel like crying when I got their text messages. I wouldn't feel as moved when I got their text messages. God loves to be loved. And he says to us as a church, listen, there are some trials. I need you to make sure that each other understands. When you are going through those trials and you are tempted to feel as if someone has sinned, God has sinned against you, this isn't fair, you need to help them go, wait a minute. Sin comes from our own hearts. We allow that sin to drag us away. And then there's Satan again. He's causing us to be bitter about life. And he goes, I want you to know, don't be deceived. The good stuff we have, they're all from God. Guys, we need to help each other overcome the challenges that we face so that we will be righteous before God. Hebrews chapter 3. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. I got a good theory. Uh, I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, Some other Greek scholars agree with me. I'm not a Greek scholar. But I I do, I love to read commentaries. I read them all the time. And it's the thing, I I love to read commentaries. Some of the challenges for me is like, okay, dude, stop reading the commentary. Read the Bible. Uh, I know it has scriptures in there, but it's not the Bible. Like, yeah, you're right, Lord, you're right. Um, So I think Paul wrote it. But we don't know who wrote it. But here's what the writer says, and it's brilliant. He says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, See to it, brothers, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence, the faith, that's what the word confidence, the faith we had at first, as has just been said, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I love what he says. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. He goes, we have to make sure in this room that no one, no one, No one is hardened by sin. So how do we do that? Do we go around and rebuke everyone? No. Yeah, that's not what he's saying. Not everyone needs a sermon like this on a Sunday morning, you know. But what he says, I got to encourage. Guys, we have to encourage. There are more scriptures about encouragement than challenges. There are more scriptures about encouragement than rebukes. Let me ask you, did you encourage someone this morning? Or was it again all about you when you came in? About my day, my week, my challenges, my problems. Did you say, hey, how you doing? You realize as a church, if every person said, I'm going to encourage at least one person a day. Every time we get together, I'm going to say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I'm having a bad day. Oh, man, you know, I know, sitting here, those challenges. Hey, I'm going to encourage you on something. Can you imagine if we all did that? That means every one of us would probably walk out encouraged. Because almost certain that when you encourage someone, they're like, oh, thank you. I so appreciate that. And perhaps they'll reciprocate and say something encouraging. But the writer of Hebrews, he goes, we have to encourage. Sometimes, 
maybe we, I know I've had this thought. I was like, yeah, Moses, I mean, God did miracles, right? Do you guys know how wide the Red Sea is? I have no idea it is. <laughs> I just wanted to see if somebody in this room knew. I was hoping Larry had an answer for me, you know. I have no idea. But, you know, we've all heard of the great story how God divided the Red Sea. But do you realize they had to do some work? They actually had to walk across the Red Sea. So we're saying, I think there's probably miles. A lot of miles. 18. Is 18 miles? 18 miles. Minimum. Minimum. See, Larry would know. So think about it. God parts the Red Sea. And mind you, it's not like the Red Sea was shallow, so it was like this shallow little thing. It's likely they had to go down and they had to go across and maybe down a little bit, maybe go up. I'm here to tell you it was a task. God parted the Red Sea. Moses and all the leaders probably had to say, it had an amazing miracle. And the people were like, yeah, that was so awesome. And then in the middle of the night, they got to start walking. And then you're like, dog, God, you should have just left us on the other side. Now I've got to climb down with all my stuff and my kids and my children. Now I've got to climb up with all my kids and my children. Can you imagine complaining 18 miles? <laughs> I mean, they did the tough mutter, you know. I'm sure some people had to climb over certain rocks. I don't know, but it was not a straight, easy track, I will promise you. Yeah, mm-hmm. Can you imagine the complaints? You're like, are you the most ungrateful people on the planet? Come on, I mean, just look to your right, there's a wall of water. Look to your left, there's a wall of water. You can see whales and fish. I mean, come on! <laughs> wow. But I imagine... What he said is, that encouraged him. You know, you can do this. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. And yeah, you shouldn't be complaining. Because look to your right and look to your left. Look at what God has done. It encouraged him. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Some of those people were elderly. Can you imagine? What are you going to say to the elderly? Get up. You got to help them up. And then there are those who are complaining. Once again, it's like, don't worry, I know, we're, 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 we're almost to the end. You know, you need to have faith. You need to keep your faith. Yeah. And what he says here, God was so disappointed at some of them. They believed in God. They lost the faith that God was going to consistently take care of them. So, you know, they did a little scouting trip. They're like, no, 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 we can't do it. No, 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 those people are too big. we got to help each other overcome. And we have got to encourage each other a lot. The last thing I want to say is we got to be unified in building. Let's turn to James chapter 1. It's all on James, you know, because I told you I've been reading the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 19, he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone, not some. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness, the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, he says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself 
goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he or she has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You know what I love about this passage? We ought to be unified in building. You know what he says to all of us? Leap with your ears and follow up with your tongue. If we're going to build something awesome in Burlington, we must first listen. Do you hear what people are saying in this room? Do you care about what each other is saying? I'm sure you do. But do you listen? I read a book last year. You know, Leanne didn't feel like I was a great listener. Because uh, sometimes she'll talk to me and like, yeah, 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 you know, I hear it. And then five minutes later, I ask her a question of something she just told me about. <laughs> so I got this book. It's called The Lost Art of Listening. And uh, the book's great. Because the book challenged me on my listening skills. Am I really attentive to what people say? And I've really tried to be attentive. Look people in the eye. Sometimes repeat the words they're saying. But the book was so good because it not only talked about the practicals, but the heart. As a listener, the person who's speaking is important. More important than I am. We've all had conversations where people didn't listen to us. Or at least we didn't feel like they were listening. We felt unimportant. You ever been somewhere, you're talking to someone, and someone more important in their eyes come, and they're like, hold on, hey, you know, you're like, okay. <laughs> and how I'm built on the inside, I go, well, I don't need you. This is my, this is my sinful default part. I'm like, hey, I'm all right. I got other friends. I'll go find me some new friends. I, fine. You know, I'll go talk. Now, that's my sinful part, opposed to saying, okay, calm down, dude. You really aren't that important. <laughs> and it's okay. Maybe they need to go talk to this individual and... What do I lose by waiting? But you know, we've all had those conversations where we just didn't feel like people were listening to us. You know what the Bible James is saying here is, as a church, if we're going to continue to be unified, if we're going to build great unity, we have to lead with listening. Are you a good listener? Husbands, are we good listeners to our wives? Wives, are we good listeners to our husbands? You know, I talked about some of us older, how we need to make sure we're humble but I think for those who are younger, you guys have to be great listeners, great imitators. You know, I think there are some who have paved the way for you that you have to imitate their heart. I remember when I was a campus student, I was a campus minister at Northeastern, and there was about 100 of us students. I was this 21-year-old kid leading the campus ministry of 100 people. And I remember uh, we'd have baptisms, and then I was always disappointed because always it was never enough baptisms. It wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I remember one, one semester I was so disappointed. And I think back then I'm like, oh, actually, that was a pretty decent semester. At the end of the semester, at the end of the three months, we had like 20 baptisms, just the men. And the women had, the women had more than we had. And I was like, dogs, lost to the women again. <laughs> but I was so disappointed. But you know, I sat in meetings every single week. And there were the men who were older than me, wiser. And they would share their wisdom. I just didn't listen. I didn't listen. I didn't listen to any of it. For me, it was all about, i got to do, 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 produce, produce, produce. But it's interesting. As the years went by, I had some challenges in my heart. 
because I started to see Christianity as a do. I started really struggling on the inside. Because you know, conversions come from God. Changed lives come from God. And when I didn't see many conversions, and the people I was discipling wanted to fall away, and people weren't changing, guess where I thought the problem was? Mm-hmm. The problem was me. Well, because, you know, I was so awesome on the first side. I was the solution. Look how great about. Then clearly the problem. And so brothers had to talk me off the ledge. When I first moved to Portsmouth, I remember feeling very much a similar way. And the brother who converted me, his name is Sam Powell. I remember calling Sam on the phone and saying, Sam, I'm struggling. Help me. And he would say exactly the same thing. He goes, Greg, you've got to do your best and you've got to let God. But I say for the younger people is, I didn't really respect the older people because it was do. See, you can do more than those who are older. I cannot do what you do. As a father of three kids, I have a full-time job, you know, elders of the church. I mean, I can do a lot. I have one night free a week. I'm going to be really honest with you guys. So we have our Monday night. It's our family night. We do our shows that we record. Tuesdays we have a, a, a married D group every week. It's so awesome. We have these married couples. They're just they're phenomenal. You know, Wednesday night we have our midweeks. Thursday night I have a study with this guy I'm studying the Bible with. Who He's going to become a Christian pretty soon. Jason is doing awesome. And then on Friday we're studying with this young couple. He's an engineer. She, uh, she works at a beauty salon. And uh, they are close to becoming disciples. We had a Friday night, like midweek, we went to a park and played beach volleyball. They showed up. He worked from home. He goes, listen, I'm working from home because we got midweek and I got to go. So, you know, it's been awesome. Challenging. Busy, busy week. Honestly, I started to feel guilty sometimes. You're like, hey, can we spend some time? Like, we don't have a whole lot of time. And then we'll, we'll talk about it. So I have one. We had this coming Saturday. is free. So yesterday was not free. Before I got here, we had, we had a couple getting married. So we met at 8 in the morning. To do their text talk. Eight in the morning. They leave at uh, 10, and then Jake and Bethany come over for our discipleship time. So we, you know, hang out with the, the Ostrowskis and we talk about life and ministry. The Ostrowski leave. We get in our car, we go to a festival with some of the disciples, and it's great. We're outside, and then we leave that festival, and guess what? I come home, I gotta do some homework because I'm going to school, do some homework, and then we ran to a party. We told the people at the party we could stay for an hour because we have to go to Burlington, Vermont. So why are you going to Burlington? We want you to stay. So we give our hugs and kisses and we get in the car and we come up here. When we got here, we're like, wow, we've had a long day. Well, we say, but that's all of our days. I share that with you is that I don't think, though, I could do much more. There are some of you guys, young people, you can study by what, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 20, 30, 50 people. You know, you can disciple, I don't know, 25. <laughs> I used to be critical of the older people because I thought they don't do as much but I think what you don't realize is you know our lives are different you know you don't have children who we are trying so hard to live the life so they'll become disciples because they are now our most important outreach no one looks back and asks me Greg what about all the hundreds of people you studied the Bible with we led a team ministry I think we started off with I don't know, 35 ended up with like 100 and some kids no one ever asked me, like, hey, what about all those kids you converted? You know what people ask me now about? My children. How are they doing? What kind of dad am I? And it's okay. I don't have a bad attitude about that. It's just life. I want to challenge the young is to begin to ask questions, to build a relationship with those who are older. I think it's starting with leading with our ears. And the last part, he says, follow up with our tongues. We've got to ask questions. I say this at work. Um... 
I have these 12 college interns, and the standard is really high at work. At work, you have to have a certain GPA for us to uh, offer you a job. And as I mentioned, these guys, uh, they get to sit down with our president and all these important people that I don't actually get to sit down with, and I've been there for seven years. They get to walk in on a summer and sit down with our CEO of investments, and it's like, life is awesome. <laughs> life is incredible. You know, they get lunches and dinners and presents, and I mean, it's just really incredible to do it. But one of the expectations in this group is you're responsible for this summer, and you must ask questions. So they have weekly one-on-one meetings, discipleship time with myself and other people. Now, I don't call it discipleship time, but this is how I built it. This is what it is. They have to enter those relationships, and they must ask questions. So the directors and all of us together, we had a class, and I said, um, so here's what I'd like for you guys to do. When they come in, they need to drive the agenda. Because at the end of the summer, the expectation is I need to know what they've learned. And I would like for you to facilitate them, but they have to drive the agenda. they got to ask the questions. They need to say, here's what they want to accomplish by the end of the year. And the, these are, and when I say director, some of these guys are above my head. It's just I'm in charge of the program. Some of these guys are too above me. Some of these guys are almost on the level of my boss. I share that. That's an expectation from the world at a company, a global company. How much more should that be an expectation from God's kingdom greater mm-hmm. that young people, old people, like we ask questions? So the idea of just being unified in how we built, brothers and sisters, I believe if we do those things, and there are many more, if you do those things, we will continue to build great unity. We will close the door for Satan. Yeah. We will be a happy, strong, yet challenged right. church because we will always be challenged. But we, I believe, will bring so much honor to God by what we do. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Love you guys. Thanks.